This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. I am so excited for season five of The Coolest Show. I just want to start off by saying thank you all for listening, for being in community, for being in, in just a part of our Coolest Show family. Maybe you heard last week the producers episode. So shout out to our phenomenal producers here at The Coolest Show, to Destiny, to Mara, and Cross, and, and it's the whole team at Hip Hop Caucus who really brings this together. Uh, last I heard, I know, I think we've won five awards <laughs> for this podcast, and I think we're up for some new awards. But to be honest, that couldn't happen without you. And we thank you from the bottom of our hearts, because you are such a blessed audience. And on top of that, we, we do this because it's about our liberation particularly as black people, but we share in solidarity with our black and our brown and our indigenous uh, looking for sovereignty. And so we share that with our, our community of people of color who understand what it means that climate justice is racial justice and racial justice is climate justice. And this season is season five is that there's more of us. And that really means that a lot of times within particularly the climate movement, and how it's and how it's laid out that they sometimes only pick one or two people of color and they make it more so as people of color who are just like um, no, I don't want I'm not going to say no token and nothing like that. But we want to make sure to say that they put people in these positions that's unhealthy. Um, and so we want to make sure here at the coolest show that we show that there's such a large the swath of particularly people all over the world on the continent and in South America and the Caribbean, but here in, in uh, here on Turtle Island, that there's a number of us who are fighting for justice and fighting for clean air and clean water. And with that, you know, we're kicking off season five, kicking off this process with someone who is just been a long-term friend of mine, but more importantly, someone who has been consistent. My dear brother, Kamon Freeman. And I just want to say he has got a new book that we're going to get into the book called Nineveh. And we're going, we're, going, we're going to shout out the whole book and the whole process. I'm actually holding it up. If you can't see, I'm holding it up right now. And I noticed something that had Poppy. Poppy Kamon Freeman. So I need to start with, for, I need to know what a Poppy, I, I, I've, I've been knowing him so long, he was just, it was Kamon. But I like the Poppy part. So just to start with that. So my brother, first and foremost, man, welcome to The Coolest Show. Yes, indeed. And this is my post-COVID greeting. I'm so glad you're alive and well, sir. And the last time we shared space was at the Sundance Film Festival in 2020. And um, it's an honor to be with you here today. Nice. No, honor to be with you, too. I mean, you know, I mean, so let's get right to it. Um, who is 
So actually, get to the poppy part. So where <laughs> so on the on the book? First, get to that part. So on the book, you made sure to put poppy. Come on. So what's the what's the poppy part for me? So well, yeah, I, um, I want to address you how you need to be addressed. No, nah, it's still it's still Kimon Freeman. You know, it's just that uh, Pappy Kimon Freeman is is when I'm doing art. That's my pen name, and mm-hmm. I do that uh, all lowercase and uh, homage to um, the legacy of um, Bill Hooks, who's been a great That's inspiration definitely. to me. Um, but um, it's just. Um, I perform poetry on a um, on Pappy Kimon Freeman, and I use um, Pappy as as a surname um, over Mister because you know Alice Walker kind of left left a bad taste in my mouth with Mister. So um, my grandmother used to call me uh, her little Pappy. So it's kind of like a, a homage to uh, those who came before me. So um, I, that's that's what that is. It's only it's only for my um, my pen name, but so you know, but some old friends still call me that. No, I love that. First of all, folks, folks who follow me on social media, you would know that I too keep all of my social media names says Rev Yearwood. It's in, it's in lower class, and that's also an honor of the of our ancestor Bell Hooks. And so, definitely shout out, oh, wow. shout out to that. Dope. Yeah, yeah. So, so come on. So, who is come on Freeman for folks who don't know you? Uh, angry black man in therapy. Uh, <laughs> father Kepper Freeman, and a relentless, fearless advocate. Um, that is here to make all the women smile, all of the ancestors proud, and all of our enemies um, 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 shudder. Mm. So before we get to your community, you got to explain what does it mean to be an angry black man in therapy? You know, we have been for far too long, um, you know, told that anger is a pejorative, that you know, we always got to smile. We always got to make mm. those around us comfortable. Um, and that was a survival technique um, that our ancestors had to deal with. So no disrespect to them whatsoever. However, I think we are in a new day. And, you know, James Baldwin, another influential writer, um, told me to be black and relatively conscious in America is being a perpetual state of rage. Uh, Malcolm X says that um, uh, when you said uh, you don't you don't change anything. But when you get upset, when you get angry, when you get mad, you're more inclined to do something. So I use my anger as um, a rocket fuel, as energy mm. uh, to keep me going, uh, as opposed to being depressed or sad or intimidated. I embrace my anger and I make sure that I destigmatize um, um, the issue of therapy because I have to challenge challenge channel that um, anger in a productive manner. And I think I've done that with all of my um, uh, my outlets, be it We Act Radio, Black Love Festival, or my work as a writer. No, nah, I mean, I have seen you just grow over just the time that we've been around each other for literally probably just two decades in, the, in this work and probably beyond. And, you know, you have always been just trying to bring us together as a people. Um, um, the Black Love Fest, which is, I know, down by the big chair. I'm not, I'm not sure if it's still there or if it's how it's still going or how you mm-hmm. transform that in that process. We just but celebrated our 25th th- anniversary last summer oh, at the Fort DuPont Amphitheater. It was the biggest um, event at the National Park Service um, Summer Series at the Fort DuPont. It's the second largest amphitheater in the nation's capital. And we honored... Uh, uh, you know, uh, my teacher, uh, Holly Garima, and his wife, uh, Shrikiana, uh, from Sankofa. 
and um, Yuzike and his wife, uh, and um, and we had Kojo Namdi and honored uh, Sugar Bear from EU for the Scott, Scotty Beat Stop the Violence Music Award. It was a fantastic event, and we hope to be able to bring it back. But um, like everything else in uh, gentrification, um, we have lost so much. So many things have been displaced. Mm. So it's very hard uh, to find the funding to um, put out uh, high uh, quality um, cultural events. Um, we are too prone to entertainment and um, too opposed to enlightenment. Mm. You know, so that, so that dates us right there. So I know that from the very first one. So that's 25 years at least that we have been, man, in the, in, in the same, that, well, that makes us old too. Here, come on. I mean, that makes us seasoned, brother. <laughs> oh, I like, listen, I like season. I know, so I mean, I, I'm with the, you know, seasoning, you know, could be either flavorful or bland though. So I would make sure, you know, yeah. you want to. <laughs> yeah, I, I, ran, I ran nine miles this, this, this week. I don't think old people are running nine miles this week. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm actually on that tip. Speaking of that, because, you know, health, uh, you know, uh, care and wellness. You mentioned, I just want to make sure we touch it because a lot, we have a lot of folks all over the globe, you know, who listening to the coolest show. And I just want to make sure that you mentioned about therapy for particularly for black men. Is there like a great resource for those who are interested in connecting, um, in the practice and just receiving, you know, services? You know, I think that's something that would be, we know, I know Taraja P. Henson's, uh, Loveland Foundation you know, ha- has been doing some amazing things around that. But uh, do you have some resources you want to kick out now in, in, in this? Yeah, this I, I would I would share my therapist's um, information. Her name is Dr. Satire Streeter. That's Satira Streeter. Uh, you see the information, but it's S-A-T-I-R-A, Satira Streeter, S-T-R-E-E-T-E-R. Um, you can um, Google her, it's Dr. Satire Streeter, uh, her services, um, because um, uh, the wonderful wide uh, World Wide Web can be uh, accessed wherever you are and she's affordable. She works with you. Um, and, um, she is someone who is culturally relevant uh, to our struggle. And cause I think you also need to be aware of who you're talking to, because if the person you're talking to can't relate, they may not be the one mm. for you to be, um, divulging, uh, your thoughts, um, uh, to. So I think that we need to be, um, you know, as Erica Badu, pick your friends like you pick your fruit. I think you need to pick your mm-hmm. therapist the same way. And, you know, again, just, just destigmatizing that because we all need to have someone to talk to that is qualified to, um, um, provide insight. And oftentimes it's just hearing yourself out. Oftentimes, yeah. just hearing yourself out because we keep it in for so long, we don't discuss it because it's kind of you know. If you're at happy hour, you know, which is a form of therapy, <laughs> but I don't think you in happy hour and the music is up. We we're really communicating, so there, there's very few opportunities for people to actually talk. You know, like you know, when the music is up, we 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 yeah, we talking, but we're not really. Um, this is wonderful commercial I saw, and the guy says, "So what do you want?" And the guy says, man, you know, he goes into his innermost thoughts. You know, I, I want to have someone to talk to. Or I want to, you know, someone to tell me what to do. I feel like I need to have um, this in my life and I'm still searching for it. He said, no, no, no. What do you want for lunch? Mm. And it's the perfect commercial for therapy. You know, it's, it was basically saying, you know, if you have someone, need someone to talk to. And we don't really make space for that type of communication. So um, one of the things since the pandemic, um, I try to have more thoughtful 
real conversations. So like, for example, instead of asking somebody, so what do you do? I ask them, what do you want to do? Whole mm. different question, you know, you know, whole different mm. question. So I think if we could just make time for real conversations um, and check in with each other, um, I think that all will um, compound, uh, create a therapeutic environment. For example, uh, Dr. Ben Chavis, um, uh, wonderful mentor to me, um, he, he said that, you know, when black people in our culture, we see, we in our greeting, we say, what's up? What's up? And there's no solution. There's no answer because clearly neither one of us knows what's up. So what mm. we should be doing is saying, what have you been reading? Hey, how are you doing, mm. brother? How you, what have you been reading? Whole different vibration. Opens up an opportunity to have a therapeutic conversation. And I hope that my work that we here discuss today is be one of those um, selections that people have been reading. Yeah, we're going to get to all of that. I actually, because, you know, I want to make sure people really just understand you because that helps them to understand what they're reading. You mentioned Dr. Ben Chavis. Who, who is your community? Everybody who is um, uh, not only uh, tired, sick and tired, <laughs> not only those who are frustrated with the status quo and the system, but those who are convinced that we can do something about it. That is my community. Mm. Those people. I don't, I don't, mm. I don't, you know, I don't run with people anymore who don't think we don't have the capacity to change our reality. If you don't think that, then that's not, that's someone I, I don't, I don't have time or space for. You know, I'm with those who, who believe that um, um, we can make something happen. You know, um, the Million Man March, the original Million Man March, um, is that high that I'm still chasing because I remember seeing what unity looked like. I remember seeing it and you was there. So, you know, I hugged more men that I've hugged in my life. That was therapeutic. That's right. You know, um, so I'm, my community is those who are like, again, Alice Walker. She said the greatest power is convincing the people that they don't have any. My community is people who want to claim their power. Mm. Mm. And, and I know that you've been, as we mentioned earlier, you've been in this movement now for, for for me, I've always seen you in the movie. I, I don't think I've never, I, you know, and we've actually known each other when we actually didn't have kids and now our kids are, are, are grown up and mine are taller than me. I don't know if yours is taller than you. Not uh, yet. Tall, actually. <laughs> and so, he working on that it. ass. Yeah, I don't know. He's going he gonna to get there too. Yeah, he is. He gonna, he gonna, he, yeah. <laughs> he's only 13. Um, but, he's going to get there. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but that's, and you know, it's funny because we talk about that because we have always, I think when we've, because we've been around and you and I, I would say this, we have been at rallies and movements with our babies on our back. Yeah. And I think it's just been a, and I think that's one, I think it's one of the reasons why I think I've always keyed into you as it's not just as a friend, but to somebody who, cause I know what it means to carry my son. I, I know I have, I hold one son's hand and I got the other one. Uh, literally in a little, in a little baby thing on my chest, my back and we going through. And it's just, and I know how important that is as a black man. And I know I would see you, you doing the same thing, right? And I got, you see, you got your son and you got him on your chest and he's wrapped up on, your, on you and I would see that. And so I think when I think about that, what's the story for you and your role in this movement, in this fight? What do you think your, what do you think your role has been in, in, in this process? You know, um, Jabari, um, uh, uh, what's Jabari's last name? It's escaping me right now. Um, he was the um, the drumming choreographer for uh, Black Panther, um, mm-hmm. and 
he says to me that I was I was the I was the the, the balls of U Street, <laughs> and and <laughs> what it means by that is that you know I was always the one that is willing to go the extra step, the extra distance. Um, point and taken. There was a, uh, I came up on U Street, which was kind of like a, a, a artist workshop for so many people from. Uh, from Raheem Devon to, um, uh, and it's Jabari Exum is his name, Jabari Exum, um, to, you know, so many artists, Kenny Allen, I mean, so many people, um, uh, we all kind of like came up together, Raquel Brown, Munch, um, but they was complaining that they were, that the festival at that time, because remember I said all these festivals have been displaced. We lost all these festivals. The Black Family Union, Stone Soul Picnic, um, uh, Unit Fest, Caribbean Day Parade. Now, come on. You know, I never, I, 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 as for the past quarter since I know you, are you originally from D.C.? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're like a third generation and then before. Third, yeah, third, like yeah, third, third, <laughs> gener- <laughs> third generation. I spent some, I, I, I like to say I spent time in my youth in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's how I look at it, spending time too. But um, they, these these artists was complaining that those festivals um, wasn't making room for them. Unless they want to, want to create our own festival, you know, build our own stage while we're trying to, you know, get in where we fit in. It's like, oh, you think it's so easy? Won't you do it? Hmm. And then I go do the festival. Mm. I create this festival. Um, uh, when Kathy Hughes was on her soapbox um, rallying against uh, the late, great John Conyers uh, in his effort to get artists paid when their records are played with the performance arts tax. Um, and she was refusing to um, uh, acknowledge that and, and, and categorize it as an attack on black radio. Um, we launched this um, uh, a change black radio campaign. And someone was like, Y'all think it's so easy. Why don't you get your own radio station? Hmm. Then I created a radio station. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I feel like I'm one of those people that um, do what needs to be done at whatever level um, um, I have. So I wanted to prove to people um, with my life and my work how much you can do without money. Because you need to, I wanted to make sure there's a distinction between money and resources. You know, because can you imagine if the Black Panther Party was out here trying to get a grant <laughs> to to challenge the, the, the decadent American system and, and and police the police? You know what I'm saying? Oh, we didn't we didn't get the grant, so I guess we couldn't do it. So now we have activists today who feel like if they don't get funded, they can't do anything. Facts. And, and I'm like, nah, Facts. nah, nah. So that's pretty much my my superpower. Um, you know, it's alchemy. We create something out of nothing. Mm. What are you talking about? You know what I'm saying? You know, you know, Harry Tubman didn't have no, 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 um, no shoe endorsement <laughs> to do what she did. You know what I'm saying? You know, nah, that's that, that's that's real, real talk. And and I guess that leaves me. So I, I've known you, and you've been. I mean, I mean, we we don't get to our time when we met. We're down there in Sundance and what we what we're doing there. And but you and obviously shout out to everybody for this month. This actually is Earth Month. Shout out to everybody. And this is Earth Month. This is National Poetry Month. Mm-hmm. I know you are a playwright. You are a screenwriter. I mean, you are all these different things, right? And then you are this author of this new book, which is about literally about climate and water and and a number of other things. And I and I just I just finished it. And it's actually oh, wow, you finished it. 
I did finish. I finished, I was on a plane. I took I, I took it with me because I had it. And, I, and letting folks know, I got the hard copy. Yeah. And there's a, a, a Camone said there's actually a soft copy, a little cheaper than the hard copy. <laughs> and you know, so, he, so you can get either one of those. You know, whatever one you want to get, you can get. But it's a new book. It's powerful, y'all. It's Nineveh. It's a conflict over water. So, man, tell us about this new book. I'm interested because it kind of took me where I didn't think it was going to take me, right? Because um, it obviously was originally a screenplay. But we'll get into all that. But but, but t- tell the folks why you wrote this book. Why you wrote this book now. And just your assessment. Because this is amazing about the book Nineveh, A Conflict oh, wow. Over you. Water. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm trying to get my mind right right now because I'm about to go in the studio to record the um, the audio book. And so I'm about to um, dive back into the story in a, in a, in a deeper way. Um, this book is a result of my summer in Nairobi, Kenya in 2004, uh, sponsored mm-hmm. by the the, the, the the good white folks, um, the Quaker organization, um, uh, American Friends Service Committee. Um, and I think I was the last group that they took over. They they um they was no longer a- able to financially um, sponsor that after '04. So I was the last of the Mohicans um, to enjoy this opportunity. Um, I had just got fired from the post office, and you know when you lose everything, um, you fear nothing. People need to understand that. Mm-hmm. You know they control us by fear of money. You're afraid to lose something you're holding on to. You're afraid to lose a couple of dollars, and that's what keeps yourself in check. No, no one is putting putting their hands on you. You are keeping yourself in check out of that fear and money. Okay, and once you let that go, then. You can you can go, and people need to understand that. So uh, I got fired from the post office in '03, and then I spent the summer in '04 in Nairobi, Kenya. If I had that gainful job, that good government job, my parents were so disappointed in me for losing. I wouldn't have been able to go. I wouldn't be able to spend three months in in Nairobi. They wouldn't have gave me three months leave. Um, so I was there. Uh, I was part of a, a leadership conference. Uh, they 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 took activists from all over America, convened in Nairobi with activists from all over the continent. It was like eight hour workshops, six days a week, very intense information and training. Um, I learned how the IMF works, the World Bank, how you colonize economies, how you give aid to a country and still be robbing them. It was kind of like my graduate studies in world affairs. And while I was there, I was introduced to the water crisis. Um, we was told um, uh, not to drink the water. Um, we were... Um, directed to use bottled water to brush our teeth, not to allow um, ice to be put in our drinks. Um, hey, we have to bathe with our mouths closed, all these things. And I'm like, but the natives here are drinking this stuff. You know, the poor people are drinking tainted water. I'm like, they drinking this stuff. Mm. And the image that's burned into my mind is this, um, this little boy. And people need to understand this, that the second largest um, import to the continent of sub-Saharan Africa is used clothing. So when you give stuff to Goodwill and Salvation Army, uh, they selling that stuff. I mean, it might be pounds, it might be penny on the pounds, but they selling it. And what are they doing that for? It ain't because of some benevolent concern. It's actually nefarious because it destabilizes the domestic textile industry in those countries. How so? Because it's the Walmart, Amazon business model. Poor people are going to purchase the you know the cheapest product. So right. when you are selling clothes pennies on a pound, 
they they gonna buy that. They're not gonna get the actual African clothing that they design because whoever making it can't compete with that price. So that actually puts the dex, the uh, domestic textile industry out of business, creates more unemployment, more misery, more poverty, and that's how you destabilize countries. You know, and so ha- having said that, that is why this little boy in uh, Kibera, the second largest slum in all of Africa, is wearing a get rich or die trying T-shirt on with no pants. And he's retrieving um, uh, tainted water out of a stream with a goat a few yards away drinking it. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, oh, snap. So when I came back to the States and I saw how we just um, uh, carelessly discard water. Who water about this? We don't know. Throw it out. You know, people washing the cars and, you know, you know, it's, it's like, oh, man, they don't understand what's going on. And even our um, uh, Vice President Kamala Harris just recently said a few months ago um, at a press conference that the next war would be fought over water. And no one said, no, there was no follow-up question to that. Like, they just went on to the next issue. I'm like, yo, do you hear what she just said? And they're not doing anything to address it. You know, why? if you know a war is coming, then why, why aren't you using this as a chance to acknowledge it, um, to, to take it as um, um, off a commodity, take it off the stock exchange, make it a human right. Or maybe it's because, right. you know, healthcare is not a human right and housing is not a human right and, and capitalism wants to be consistent. So uh, that, is, that is what brought me to um, uh, this story. Um, and when I came back from, in fact, when I came back from Kenya, that's what turned me into a writer because I realized mm. that a pen is a poor man's weapon, you know. And um, I, I, that's when I came back on a mission and I was going to use that because while I was there, there's a spot called a Nayu house where they tortured people. Um, the, the dictator at the time who was a flunky for the West uh, was torturing people who tried to, you know, speak out and, and, and change um, um, the conditions there. Um, I went into one of those sales where they had these men and uh, I closed the door, stayed in there doing the, doing the tour. I stayed in the sale for about, I guess, about half hour or so. And I, I, I uh, used my lighter so I could read the walls. And these men, and some of the, the, the words these men had wrote on those walls created my first play, which was prison poetry. And fortunately, I won a literary award for that, which gave me the validation that I needed, unfortunately needed, in order to um, say that um, I can do this. So I hope that m- my work will convince others that you don't have to wait to get a literary award to be able to do this. Everybody, by the sheer sake of their humanity, has one story the whole world wants to hear. It's just that oftentimes it's the one story you don't want to talk about, you don't want to know what to know about, the one that's most uncomfortable. Um, you don't want to tell that story, but that's the one the whole world needs to hear. Now, your talent would be measured on how many more stories you can come up with, but we all got one. And I hope that as a um, result of this conversation, we inspire somebody um, to tell their story. No, I, I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you that's going to that's gonna happen. We, we, let's, let's get more to that into the book because I, I, I don't want I need people to want to buy the book because it's actually important to support. <laughs> I need y'all to go buy the book, go buy Nineveh and, and pick it up. So it's, again, it's Nineveh, hey, a you know, conflict yeah. over water. I, I, uh, if if I, if I didn't have a personal relationship with a few bookstores <laughs> that's carrying this book right now in, in, in the DMV area, um, I would say you'll steal this book because that's how important this issue is. And it's mm-hmm. something that we need to recognize, you know, um, but you can get this book on any um, online uh, platform. 
um, where you find fine books. I just hope that Walmart and Amazon are the last choices and not your first choices in retrieving that book because we need to understand we need to become conscientious consumers. We need to begin to vote with our dollars and pray with our feet and that we are actually contributing to our own demise if we do not do something different. You know, by the year 2050, it's been predicted that there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. That's right. So no, that is that's, because... And, that, and that's... And that, that's, no, that's real. And actually right now, people who, who are listening, you don't understand, right now we consume a credit card worth of plastic each week. Like literally from the fibers and through the water and the fish and eating things that we are consuming each week. We are now up to a credit card's worth of, of plastic. And babies are now born in the placenta. They're finding plastic in the placenta. So They find plastic in the placenta. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, so we, is, we need... So this is the level where we're at. So we got to all get our own bottle uh, of water, replenish it. We need to stop buying individual bottles of water. And I want people to understand that we've been exploited. We've been exploited. Because right now, not even to the crisis that I get into the book, the, the, the today, we're spending more for water than we are for gas. If you buy a bottle of water individually, that, and you have paid more to make a gallon of water then you will pay for a gallon of gas. And you know they go to how many wars they go on over gas. But we, that hasn't stopped us from using this gas. So I want us to understand we've been exploited and we need to challenge this. And because it's going to have to, it's, it's these, these resources are finite. And if we don't right. uh, uh, understand that, we're going to be caught out there. And the pandemic should have taught us, if anything, how quickly things can change. You know, well, come on, let's let's get a little bit into it. I'm, I want people to know, and I know I don't want to give away too much because I want people. I want you to buy Nineveh, a conflict over water. But no, no, Brad, we get my public, my publishers ain't on this call, so we can get into the book, man. <laughs> well, let's get it. Yeah, because like, 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 like I don't understand how what what then tell the people uh, what's the book itself about? Then tell them you know, and what's the setting and the story of the protagonist of the book? Let's let's get it then. Yeah, because here's the thing. Man, you know, people went to see the Titanic. They knew the boat was going to sink. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, what? <laughs> <laughs> was no spoiler alert for that? You know, um, but yeah, it's it's this is um, a novel, uh, but I don't call it fiction. I call it Afrofuturism, and the mm-hmm. reason why because because sci-fi kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth because the great Octavia Butler she says, "Is it fictitious for black people to imagine themselves in the future?" You know, um, so she never she never um, um, acknowledged the, the genre of sci-fi. She she was a writer. That was her, she said her card says writer, and she just imagined um, uh, herself in the in the uh, in the future. She imagined us uh, in the future. And so, if I'm telling you, this is a story about um, the polar ice caps have melted, some cities have submerged, some new cities have emerged. That's not fictitious. That's based upon facts that we now know. You know, look at Dubai. Dubai is a new city that has emerged. They built it out of the ocean. It's a landfill. They're going to build some more. Um, um, Miami is, is South Beach is going to be underwater in, in two decades. Um, these are facts unless we do something different. So Nineveh is a conflict of water set in the future where water has been priced beyond the affordability of the masses, forcing them to collect rainwater, which constitutes the new contraband, which is highly illegal. And it's, um, and it's also, as some old heads would say, something in the water. So the, the, the ration government supply is tainted 
you know, whatever. Um, and only people who obtain rainwater can stay woke and have the wherewithal to actually challenge the system, you know, but have to do it subversively because mm-hmm. they get caught with it. It's the ass. And the reason I say that is because it's based upon information and facts that we now know. If I say that this is um, a story when the uh, polar ice caps have melted and some cities have submerged and some new cities have emerged, that's not fiction. That's that's an unfortunate reality if we don't do something different. Um, again, you know, we are looking at new cities have emerged right now. Dubai is a city that has emerged out of the ocean. It's a landfill that they built upon and they're going to build some more. They got some that are going to be designed like palm trees. Uh, so we'll check it out. So it's not make-believe. Uh, and uh, this basically will uh, a, a society, a fascist society uh, under the thumb of the uh, Global Water Corporation where water has been priced beyond affordability of the masses, forcing to collect rainwater, which constitutes a new contraband and highly illegal. And there's something in the government limited ration supply. So only those who are able to uh, illegally obtain rainwater can stay woke and have the wherewithal to challenge that system. And so, and my protagonist is a woman. Um, uh, and she leads the um, the rebellion. Her name is Evlon, and it's no love spelled backwards. And she's um, the resistance' uh, greatest warrior. And the reason I wanted to uh, have a woman uh, as the protagonist because when we look at the 500 year institutional white supremacy is predicated upon uh, a white male patriarchal society, uh, the antithesis of that will be a woman of color. We have to um, get to the point where um, Ozzie Davis told this to me that we have always been in conflict. And at some point we have to draw a line of dirt and say to the world, we shall not be moved, you know. Um, And um, let me squeeze this in. You know, when we talk about a conflict of a water, that's not necessarily that futuristic as well. Because look, um, uh, I, I could talk about what's happened in Bolivia and then all these other places, um, but let's look right here in the United States. We all know about Flint, Michigan, but one of the things they don't talk about in that entire story, that entire story of Flint, Michigan, they never once mentioned two things. One, that the largest fresh body of water in North America, the Great Lakes, is a short drive from Flint, Michigan. You know, how is it you're going to have tainted water and you that close to the largest fresh body of water in North America? Unless what? There's corruption and water crimes being taken place, you know. And two, they didn't mention that Nestle. We know them as chocolate is um, Swedish corporation, but their number money, number one moneymaker is water. And they have paid the state of Michigan $200 a year so they can have the right to pump over a million gallons of water out of the Great Lakes every day. But people in Detroit can't pay their water bills, you know? And when they don't pay their water bills, Child Protective Services come and take their kids. So now we got water refugees in Detroit, water refugees in Flint, and look at what's happening in Jackson, Mississippi. They have already weaponized water. And I'm mm. telling a story on how we can resist because we pretend it's like the greatest, you know, uh, trick the devil ever pulled is convincing the world he didn't exist. So this water co- conflict, this water crisis, and just like uh, Kamala Harris, vice president, said that the next one is next war is going to be about water. But no one says anything about it. Come on. You said so much. I mean, first, I just want to say, man, you know, thank you for this. And I, I got I got some more to add. I got some more. I just want to take I'm taking like a, like a pause just because as you are, I know listeners are listening. And the, the, the thing here, the theme for this season is that there's more of us. As you're talking, 
as you are just breaking it down. Um, and again, people need to people need to get the book, but um, it shows why, to be honest, the larger climate movement is missing, and we need voices to be free like you to be in this conversation. Even and I didn't think it's even I'm talking about this black, brown, and indigenous folk who probably don't know who are going to be turned on to you because you know that's the great thing about this audience; they're going to be turned on to you. And I hope they they blow your phone up and they 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 connect with you to to have you come because your your lens in this is so important, my brother. And I just wanted to say that I just think that this is this is the reason why this show exists, so that we can connect the dots, even within our own movement. And so I just want to make sure that that's that's clear. You know, I asked you know uh, Michael Regan, who is the EPA administrator, was on the coolest show last season. I believe this, I think it was pretty sure it was season four. And I asked him about what does it mean? What's your viewpoint? And people can go listen to what he said. What, what, what's your viewpoint of blacks in the future? And so I'm going to ask you the same question, actually. I, what's, as you're thinking about, as we connect the dots between climate justice and racial justice, we look at that we are the most, we are first and worst hit by this, by what's going on from water to the climate crisis to pollution. Um, where do we fit in? What's your idea of, and I, and I like what you said that we, that we, you got to have solutions. You got to be, you got, you got to look to fixing the, fixing this thing up. Ain't going to be no, you know, you know, woe is me mentality. So we ain't coming from that perspective. We ain't coming from the oppression Olympics. That ain't what we, that's not what we starting at. Mm-hmm. I, I want, I want you to be like, where, from your standpoint, after writing this amazing book here, my heart. Thank you. Y'all can get this, y'all, y'all can get the soft copy, but y'all can get <laughs> none of a, a conflict over water. Y'all can get that. Where, where, where do blacks and where does black liberation fit in in the future? You know, um, let me let me read um, something from the book real quick, because I think it speaks volumes to your question. This is um, the prologue. Um, it's um, the beginning of the book. Um, it's uh, a quote uh, from Abraham Lincoln, but it's been challenged on whether or not Abraham Lincoln has actually ever said this. So they have challenged the validity of this quote. But this is uh, supposedly a book of fiction, so I think if if it if it's it's welcomed in this in this this um this work. But they challenging this quote from Abraham Lincoln, but they don't challenge Christopher Columbus discovered America. That's still in the U.S. history books. They can't, you know, what I'm saying they're not challenging the validity of that, you know. So let me uh, try to answer your question with this this alleged quote from Abraham Lincoln. He says, I see in the near future a crisis approaching that unnerves me to tremble for the safety of my country. Corporations have been enthroned in an era of corruption and how places will follow and the money power of the country will endeavor to prolong its reign by working upon the prejudices of the people until all wealth is aggregated in a few hands and the republic is destroyed. Um, I'm I think that is an accurate analysis on where we are and black people need to see and people of color around this world need to realize that um, we need to decrease our level of dependency on the system and increase our interdependency on each other. If we're going to survive the changes that are coming, Um, I I say it again, the pandemic was the first time um, um, that poor people got a vacation it is it allowed people the opportunity to think because when they kept saying we want to get back to normal and people were like, whoa, 
You know, normal wasn't working for everybody. What, what's normal? You know what I'm saying? Is it normal for 25,000 people to die in Africa, Asia, Latin America because they have access to clean water? You know, is, is, it, is it normal for uh, uh, a handful of people in this country in America to have um, 90% of all the wealth? You know, uh, we, we, a lot of things have been called into question. You know, um, Martin Luther King, we're very familiar with his last speech, but we're not as familiar with his next to his last speech, which was delivered right here in Washington, D.C., March 31st, 1968. It was entitled Remaining Awake During a Great Revolution. Right. He goes on to say that far too often people find themselves living in periods of great social change, but yet they fail to develop the new ideas, the new mental responses that the new situation demands. They end up sleeping through a revolution. Mm-hmm. I think when um, Baba um, Gil Scott Heron said that the revolution won't be televised, what he was really saying is that the revolution will be live. It is here. We're in the midst of it. It's not something you're going to be able to watch and spectate. So we won't have to participate. And black people, we're the mamas and papas of the planet. And these unruly bastard children of ours have been destroying the planet. And there's going to have to come a time where we set them straight. And if we don't think that we can do it, well, it's because we have been conditioned and castrated and emasculated to uh, accepting our plight as the permanent underclass forever and ever and ever and ever. Uh, mm. And if you don't think that's true, when I got fired from the post office, you know what my parents told me when I, I lost that good government job? They said, maybe if you go back and apologize, mm. they'll give you your job back. And I'm, like, I'm not apologizing. I meant, I meant what I said. And, you know, it's all for the best. I wasn't even happy. They were like, happy? <laughs> it's a job. Who, who said you're supposed to be happy? You know and that's the disconnect. That's mm-hmm. the disconnect. So um, we need to um, um, rise to the occasion. And, but we have to first um, believe we can. And then once we believe we can, then we need to arm ourselves with factual information like books, like um, this work, because this is a clear and present danger. This is a clear and present danger. And we're um, actually the frog that's been um, cooked in the boiling pot of water. You know, you say you put the frog in the boiling pot, mm-hmm. hops right out. But if you turn it up slowly, you know, uh, uh, you know, you'll cook the frog, you know. Man, yeah. listen, my so, brother, Kamon Freeman, I want to tell you something. I can't believe how fast this time. I got like three that I need to get in for this time. This time... And you kicked off season five like like none other. So first <laughs> and foremost, let me just say this. I, I want I know you mentioned to me, I know there's a campaign regarding sugary drinks and that kind of stuff. I just want to make sure you talk about that. Cause I don't want you to I need people to have that on this listing. So Yeah. Um we got the book part, but talk, talk about that campaign you go you kick off. For for those who are in the uh, in the DC area. Uh, we're going to be at Martin Luther King Library on uh, May the 6th at 11 a.m. Uh, we'll be announcing um, our campaign to ban bottled water in the nation's capital and hopefully create a national model to follow. We're going to be banning bottled water because that is exploitation economically and it's also a devastation uh, to the environment uh, and pollution physically. And we need to understand that. Um, I mean, uh, you know, Rev, you said we're getting a little older, but uh, I think people, most people are old enough to remember that when there was children, if someone had asked their parents to buy a bottle of water, they would look at them like they was crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, 
And when I was nine years old, I remember my grandmother telling me that um, there's going to sell water one day. And I said, Grandma, water's free. You crazy. You know, but she was basically of uh, the mindset that, you know, the American apartheid system, the symbol, the enduring symbol of that was those water fountains, the colored only, white only. And when those signs came down, she said, it's going to make us pay for that. And if you look at the timeline, like any good detective does, um, as those signs came down on the water fountains, you saw less and less public water fountains. And you saw in a, uh, a gradual eroding of the public confidence of the public water supply. And at the same time, you saw the rise of a commodification of water for sale. Smooth transition. And that's where we are today. And so what, you know, as activists, we sometimes are very clear on what we are for, but we're not as clear on what, uh, I mean, we're very clear on what we're against, but we're not as clear on what we are for. And so we're against plastic bottled water. So what we're going to do is instead of um, uh, trying to replace those water fountains, which may be a, a sanitation uh, concern, we're going to have filtered water um, um, refillable um, centers where, you know, you get your bottled water container refilled and have those all over the city. So that is what we're trying to bring to the table because D.C. Water has done a great job in rising to the occasion to improve um, the quality of water in this city. Um, but that, that didn't come without um, advocation, provocation, um, because uh, they had, and, and by the way, D.C. Water tagline is water is life. That's on their trucks, mm -hmm. right? Like, okay. Yeah. Well, they, if you've been driving around D.C., you see all this construction, the way they're tearing up the streets, that is for them to create this aqueduct, uh, not aqueduct, uh, well, a tunnel to accommodate the runoff water that was polluting the rivers. So whenever it rains, the stormwater drainage would be overflowed and raw sewage would go into the river. That's why it's brown. Well, they was um, uh, building these tunnels to accommodate the runoff so that once they turn these pumps on, it can clean the river 90% overnight and turn the water blue or bluish. <laughs> and so those people can swim in the river and those people can go kayaking on the river. And that's all fine and great cleaning environment. I'm all here for that. My book is also dedicated to um, uh, Damu Smith, by the way. Mm. So um, the, the fact, the problem I have with that is at the same time, over this side of town, they're saying it's going to take a hundred year lead pipe replacement rate for all these pipes in the city. You know what I'm saying? Lead pipe replacement rate going to take a hundred years, but at the same time, we're going to build this to clean the river. And I'm like, hold up. How are you going to, I, 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 can't, I couldn't factor that just position, you know? And so we advocated for that. A couple of tweets went viral. And then uh, George Hawkins, the then general manager of DC Water, comes to my studio, We Act Radio, and we challenged this. And um, he's out, the new guy's in. And now they have gone from a hundred year pipe replacement rate to having it completed by the year 2030. So you tell me how you can go from 100 years to less than 10 years, unless there's been, like Martin Luther King said, a revolution of values. So um, I, I, um, DC Water is going to be a partner on this. Uh, DC Public Library is going to be a partner on this and going to be advocating on see who on the DC Council is going to be a partner for this. And then we're going to have to challenge um, uh, uh, Congress, who is the, because uh, of taxation without representation, is going to ultimately try to um, stop any type of um, bans like this because we're challenging the, uh, the status quo and the corporations who are making a killing, um, literally. Um, when you said plastic is in the placenta, I mean, like, uh, that's going to have to be part of our talking points um, yeah. when we talk about the ban of plastic water bottles. So that's a nutshell. That's uh, Again, it's May 6th, 11 a.m. at Martin Luther King Library. And I didn't give out the website 
website for the book, NinevahNovel.com. That's N-I-N-E-V-E-H Novel.com, NinevahNovel.com. And I uh, hope people will also, pick that book I, I, up. I also want people to make sure, because, you know, we have a, this is the international, people who listen from all over the world, listen to the coolest show all over the country. So as they're listening to you, what, what you've done in D.C., particularly around what you're pushing for, around uh, uh, getting rid of, of, of bottled and plastic, plastic bottled water and getting rid of and moving forth in a different direction here in, here in Washington, D.C. Let, how can folks reach you? Because they may be in, in Tougaloo or in, in Mobile, Alabama, or they may be in, they may be still up in Jackson or Flint and they're listening to this right now and they want to connect with you to figure out some solutions. How can they, what's, what's the best way to, to connect with you? I will, I, will, I will want everybody to go to NinevahNovel.com, N-I-N-E-V-E-H, Novel.com. Um, uh, also on the relevant social media, uh, Instagram, Nineveh um, Novel. Uh, of course, my name is Kamal Freeman. I ain't hard to find. Um, but they can d- reach me directly through um, uh, our book's website. Uh, I want to shout out uh, my publisher, uh, Strong Gone Press. Uh, Dr. Angela Davis is, is, has his book. She's reading it. I'm waiting to hear um, back from her because she may... Uh, be writing um, um, some comments for the next edition. Uh, and, you know, this this is an exciting time to be alive. This is not a war is me. This book is about um, liberation. It's an inspiration. It's showing how the resistance can um, can 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 overcome because, um, you know, we we're not we don't have a defeatist uh, attitude. Uh, the system um, is unsustainable. It is going to change. It's going to collapse. We just have to make sure it doesn't collapse on top of us. And so we, this book is to get everybody on point and so that we can uh, organize uh, 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 an effective resistance and mobilize our people uh, to a higher plane of reality and existence because um, it's either um, uh, all of us or none of us if we don't um, take this very serious. Mm. Come on, I got one last question. I just want to let folks know that one thing at, at Hip Hop Caucus, there's a documentary, a docu-series called Big Oil's Last Lifeline, speaking on how uh, fossil fuel industry is using actually plastics and things to stay in business. And so you can actually just go to their website at Hip Hop Caucus and it's for free. Just make sure I, I'm, I'm with Come On. We want to make all these resources free as possible as we can. Um, so you can go there to Hip Hop Caucus and check out Big Oil's Last Lifeline. Also, there's a documentary that was done on the clean water up there in the Great Lakes uh, that was done by Dream Hampton uh, that was done called Swollen. So I want to make sure y'all check that out. And, and you might be inspired to hearing about Kamon's book. You might be inspired to check out the, maybe go and get on your playlist, you know, New World Water that was back in the day by Yasin Bey, formerly known as Most Deaf. Or even the song that that was done by one of our producers right here, Cross. That was a uh, uh, you know trouble in the water. That was done by Common and Malik Youssef and others. So make sure we make sure you do. So this is my yeah, last question for you. Go ahead, go ahead. No, definitely go ahead. No, I just, I just, I just want to say that we have an ofi- we have official music for the book. Um, shout out to um, the educated consumers. Uh, uh, Add water. You can catch it on We Act Radio's YouTube channel, and also DJ Kavum um, has a, a, a joint called Water. And these are official music for um, the book Nineveh. But let me tell you, man. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but Jay Z, he went to Africa, had the same similar experience that I had. But because Jay has more re- resources, Jay uh, put his uh, money. Behind Behind, um, building these these merry-go-rounds where children would play on, and they would create um, self-powered water pumps, provided fresh water for and, and saved countless lives. Right, and he created a documentary called Water for Life, 
And mm. even he even spoke at the UN, the United Nations. Jay-Z right. addressed the United Nations when Kofi Annan was Secretary General. A lot of people don't know this. You know, so I was like, so my book started as a screenplay years ago because I was like, oh, I got to get this film to Jay. If I get this film to Jay, maybe I get a shot. And um, fortunately, my brother was in the music industry and um, uh, he got me in touch with, uh, with Beehive, which Beehive was like is Jay-Z's um, um, cousin. And um, B's running, um, what is that, you know, um, uh, rock, rock, uh, rock Nation joint. And so he, he asked me to come up to New York. And with the script, I'm like, why did I just let me email it? He was like, man, come on to New York. So I come to New York. I have a meeting with him. I'm like, wow, you know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sitting next to the man. I sit next to the man. This is my shot. <laughs> and and Bihai says, you know, I like the story, but it feels like a documentary. I don't know how we can make money with this. Now, at the time, I thought I messed up because I thought I, 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 I missed my shot because at that moment, I should have said, I thought Jay wanted to make history, not just make money. That's what I, I always thought I should have said. But what I did say, I got sunk into an argument um, on how he can make money with the dude that got off the Chinatown bus in New York. <laughs> how I'm going to tell the dude at Rock Nation, how you going to make money messing with me? You know, so he turned me down. Right. And I was depressed about that for a long time. I thought I messed up. I missed my, uh, my opportunity. But I'm so grateful. And this is for all those that's listening out there. I was so grateful. He said no. Why? Because it wasn't ready then. That was a screenplay. It was a. It was the. It was just the bare knuckles of a of a beautiful jewel that hadn't been de fully developed yet. And I I sat it down. But every time a water crisis came up, because I had a stage reading with actors in the audience, people would ask me, "What's up with the water story?" And so it always was in the back of my mind. I need to go back and finish this story. And then my man Mazi Mutafa, words beast in life, was like, "Why don't you just write the book?" I'm like, oh, I ain't got the time for the book. I ain't got, you know, I got to make this money. I got to get this rent and da, da, da. Then the pandemic happens. And then when the pandemic happened, I had all the time in the world. And I mm. sat down and I dedicated two years of my life of creating this beautiful pandemic baby. And now this is what I should have had. Um, it, it wouldn't have been um, um, the right time years ago in that meeting. This is it. This is my, the greatest accomplishment I have completed thus far in my life. And I hope that the world would accept it and address um, this issue before it's too late. Mm. You know, I don't got no more questions. No, come on. I'm in it right there. <laughs> man, I, man, brother, I, I love you, man. And I love, I love you more, man. You inspire me, brother. You inspire yeah. me, brother. And, and, and real quick, we got to say something about Stop Cop City, man, because that was the first murder of a climate activist um, that they have acknowledged. That they acknowledged because I think they hurt, killed some people um, um, at, at what was that? Standing Rock, which was a fight over water. Mm hmm. Well, uh, we, when we actually got to talk to our dear sister, Queen Yonazaha and many, many others who actually were given, they, they, they put out toxins on the, on the actual people who were there. I was at Center Rock too, but I didn't, I, I haven't tested with cancer, but a lot of folks were there on a daily basis and Center Rock now have cancer. And so they were beginning to connect the dots to what they were spraying on the activists, a lot of them having cancer. So you're right. So it might be either direct from a, from a bullet shot or it's too, literally long-term murder. So, and then I was, we've had uh, activists like Berta Caceres around the globe. So no, nah, thank you for making sure that with, I'm, I'm for those who are listening, I'm wearing my, I'm wearing my stop cop city hat. So that's what Kimona is referencing. And uh, yeah. that, that's our guest today. And man, he is the author playwright, just phenomenal activist. 
Kamon Freeman, co-founder of We Act Radio and author of the book You Need to Pick Up, The Nineveh, A Conflict Over Water, out right now. And I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Oh, Rev, 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 Rev. I got to shout out uh, Shaka King, the director of Judas and Black Messiah. His name was on my book, bro. Oh, my you man. know, yeah, we, you know, we got to get that in there. You know, I got to get that in there, man. Oscar, yeah. Five time Oscar nominated, uh, got the Oscar for Daniel Kaluuya and his portrayal of our F, uh, our FBI assassinated Black Panther, uh, Fred Hampton. Um, Shaka King, he, he had this to say about the book. There's great utility in escapist art, but this novel threads the needle pretty damn well by refusing to not acknowledge trauma just to make a piece of entertainment. So I want to mm. give thanks to Shaka King uh, for putting his support behind, behind my debut novel. Thanks for having me, brother. Nah, thank you. And that's Kamon Freeman, an award-winning playwright and just an amazing father and a good brother. Thank you, my man. All power to the people. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.